Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, we're going to talk about this reality, that there's no such thing as a human in isolation. In fact, we are made human through community. We're also going to talk about this. Why was Eve created last in the creation story? We'll also look at how God is one, but also relationship. And there's no such thing as a self-made person. I'll also talk about my dyslexia and the struggles of being a writer. All this on The Fairly Spiritual Show. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. dreams with you so uh, many of us have heard this the evangelist at the end of his or her message it's often his message but i wish it was his or her message but at the end of the message he gets up there and says or maybe it's at the beginning i i don't really know the order of such things but at some point the evangelist will say if you were the only person on the face of the earth Jesus Christ would have died for you. Some of you have heard that. Some of you might have even said that. Now, in theory, that might be true, but I don't know if it is. In my opinion, and this is what we're going to talk about on today's show, if you were the only person on the face of the earth, the first thing God would have done is create another person. We're going to talk about this truth that we often overlook in our individualistic society, the truth that humans are created for community. Humanity is not an individual sport. It's a community relationship. To be human is to be in relationship. God is community. Now, we know that God is one, and before you think I'm starting some weird cult here, God is one. Our God is one. But we also know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, now this is a mystery, and I cannot dissect God, and neither can you. We've all tried those Trinity uh, explanations, those analogies of the Trinity, right? And and we've all failed. I've I've taken a bit of church history. I have a master's of divinity. I'm working on my doctorate. I may or may not finish it someday. But we know the struggle of this. There's people who've used sunbeam analogies. They've used three-leaf clover analogies. I've often joked with our church and classes that I've taught that maybe you could describe God like Neapolitan ice cream, three flavors, but one God, but one ice cream, but it doesn't work, right? It just... No matter how you try to do it, it doesn't work. And it's it's good that we can't fully describe God, because then that would limit God. We don't ever want to be like, well, here's how you easily understand God. 
the good news is Jesus limited God in the sense that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that's good news. But the reality is, if you believe in the expression of God that is contained in the Old and the New Testament, we have God who expresses himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one God, but God is relationship, and we see that throughout Scripture. We see where the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, and there's this this love, this beautiful love that exists within our triune God, and that love has existed for eternity, and we see that love expressed in the laying down of the Son's life for the Father, and there's, it's, it's a love relationship. And we know there must be relationship within our God for God to ask us to enter into relationship. In fact, it seems that the creation of humans is even an expression of God's relational nature. And the creation of more than one human is an expression of God's relational nature. The fact that God can instruct us on love, can instruct us on how to abide with one another, must it has some integrity rooted in the fact that God is relationship. If God was just singularly in the sense of just God the Father without the Son and without the Spirit, I don't, I don't think there would be that connection to understand uh, or for God to be able to instruct us of how a, a husband should love a wife or how a father should love a son, or how brother should love brother, or friend, or neighbor. There's relationship within God. And there's a reality that God has created relationship, or he has created community, so that we can understand ourselves, but we can also understand God. There's this mystery. There's mystery in this. And and in the book that I just wrote, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, which, by the way, you can get at Amazon now in digital form on Kindle or paperback. Uh, you can also get it through my website at fairlyspiritual.org. Uh, I, I try to delve into this in, in deeper ways. And in fact, what I'm looking at right now is uh, the stuff I address in chapter three of the book. And I'm, I'm going into some details here. And, and today we're, we're talking about the creation of community or how we are fully human in community. And so I go into that deeper than I can in this podcast, but I I wanted to share some thoughts here that often because we get nervous about, we don't want to make God into many gods, we don't talk about the relational nature of God. But God is perfect relationship. God is one God, but God is perfect relationship. Now we get to humans and, and this reality, the evangelist stands before us and says, you know, if you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus would have died for you. And, and that sounds good. But so often, and you're going to hear me talk about this many times in the coming weeks, so often we talk about existence in individualistic terms, and the Bible does not talk about us in individualistic terms. It's always us. It's always both the individual and the community. Maybe it'd be better to say this. Yes, the Bible does talk about us in individual terms, but the individual terms are always within the context of the larger body, of the larger community of God. It is never individual first and then community second. It is both the community and the individual. And you see this with the creation narrative at the very beginning. From the very beginning, the story that God tells us, if we go to Genesis, 
is that community is central to understanding who we are. In fact, to be fully human is to be in community. Humans have been created wonderfully. And often uh, people, when they communicate the nature of God and the nature of humans, the first thing we'll talk about is how depraved humans are, how terrible humans are. They're, you know, they're the worthless gnat on the butt of a donkey. They're, you know, our sin and our depravity. And, and yes, I get it. Sin has influenced humanity. It's influenced us. We are not righteous outside of the righteousness of Christ. But it's important to start where the Bible starts. And where the Bible starts, the Bible starts with presenting humans in a very specific way, and not in the way that often theologians present humans. The Bible starts wanting us to see how amazing humans are. If you start with Genesis and the first mentions of humans, the Bible starts with this amazing story. The first thing the Bible wants us to know is that humans are created in the image of God. God says, let us create man in our image. In our image, let us create man. Now, I don't know if I even want humans to know that they are created in the image of God. I, I kind of want them to know how much they've messed up. That's the first thing I maybe want them to know, but not God. The first thing God wanted us to know is that we are created in his image, that we were created to image him on earth, that, that when people would say, hey, you know, what is God like? Uh, God's love, what is God's love like? And people could say, well, God's love is like Joe over there. You know how Joe is loving? That's how God is loving. And you know how Joe is caring? That's how God is loving. You know how Sally is kind? That's how God is kind. You know how Sally is gracious? That's how God is gracious. Yes, Joe and Sally, very boring names, but I just picked them off the top of my head. But you get the picture. We were created to image God on earth, to be expressions of God. Not to be God, we are not God, but to image God. God didn't take from a substance outside himself. He took from himself and created us to image himself on earth. We were created in his image. Genesis 1.27, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Whenever the Bible repeats something, it's important. It says it a couple times there. In fact, four times in those verses, in his image. Not only were we created in God's image, but we were created to be fruitful, to multiply, and have dominion. So not only created in his image, but given this fruitfulness, this powerfulness, to be able to reproduce what God has created, to be able to have authority and dominion. Humans are wonderfully dangerous. We are wonderfully powerful. And the thing that God said after he created us was not terrible human beings, worthless human beings, uh, meaningless human beings, powerless human beings. That's not what God said. The first thing God said after he created humans was very good. The Lord said very good. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In fact, if you look at the creation narrative, uh, God, after each day of creation, he looks at what he's created, and he, behold, it is good, it says. Or it says it was good. But the term very, the word very, is only used after humans are created. So, you know, the mountains and the trees and the rivers and the oceans, those are all created, and God says good. But God uses the term very good when humans are created. This is so important. People present a view of humans that is not how the Bible presents humans. The first thing God wants us to know is, man, humans are wonderfully made. They are made in God's image. They are powerful and they've been given dominion and authority and they've, they've been made to be fruitful and to multiply. And when God created humans, he said, very good. 
He was delighted in what he had created. And he gave us this wonderful volition to serve him or to serve ourselves. But the Bible says that God created humans, or he created man in his own image. He created him male and female. He created them. But it says that he created Adam, and Adam was all alone. Now, this is before sin entered the world. This is before the fall. And and this juxtaposition that I see in Scripture is pretty powerful, and and this tells you the importance of community. And we often gloss over this and and miss, we we don't even look at this because we so often make salvation about individual sins and individual needs and individual problems. But the Genesis narrative is about the creation of community as much as it is about the creation of an individual. So Adam exists as a singular human. And God looks at Adam, and you have this profound scripture in uh, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the first time not good is mentioned in the Bible is in relationship to Adam being alone, to humans being alone. So it is very good that humans have been created. It is not good that humans are existing alone. It is not good that Adam is abiding alone. And there's so many reasons that it is not good. It is not good because Adam is not going to be able to understand the triune nature of God. He's not going to be able to understand the mystery of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and the Father's love for the Spirit and the Spirit's love for the Father. And the Spirit. That, that triune relationship that exists, he's not going to be able to experience that with his own kind because he exists by himself. There's not going to be any mutual dependency and love and submission. He just exists on his own in isolation. So the scripture says that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, I don't mean to be controversial here, but when I look at the Hebrew here, I don't think rib is the best translation. And and please don't write me and get all upset. And it's okay if you think it's rib. I, I think we can come to the same place here. But but I think rib is such a powerful translation for people that all of the versions have kind of refused to touch that word. It's such a powerful word that people just, it's got to be rib that the new translations have just kept it rib. But if you look at the Hebrew word, the word is Tesla. And Tesla really just means side. And if you look at the translation in other areas of Hebrew, it could be used as like the side of a mountain. It, it could be a part of the mountain. And I think side is a much better translation than rib. Now, again, you could use rib, but I think side is a, a better translation because of how Adam responds when he comes out of this slumber. So, the scripture says that when Adam was created, it even uses this term that God created man, both male and female, he created them. And then it talks about, here's Adam in a singular self. Adam goes to sleep and he wakes up and God takes, and I would use this term, God takes Tesla, he takes the side from Adam, a part of Adam. And Adam wakes up and he looks across at this new creation that is later called woman, or this creation that is Eve, and he looks at her and he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He doesn't just say, Where's my rib? 
He's like, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. See, I think for Adam, something more than just losing a rib occurred. That he was missing a profound part of himself. Now, I believe this, and and you can disagree with me on this, but I think before Adam fell into that deep sleep, that Adam held basically all of humanity within him. And then when he went to sleep, God separated out humanity from him, half of humanity from him. He was separated, and there was the other half. The creation of Eve is more than the creation of of marriage. It's more than just the creation of sexuality. It's the creation of community. It's the creation of dependency. It's that Adam is not going to have complete independence. He can't do everything on his own. He's going to be dependent upon community, upon someone else. I write about this in chapter 3 of the book, The Community of God. When Adam gazes at Eve, he immediately realizes, and here's a quote from the book, when Adam gazes at Eve, he immediately realizes that he is missing a profound part of himself. He went to sleep as seemingly one person and awoke with a strong realization that he was no longer complete. He was now two and in need of Eve to be whole. She was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. Only together could Adam or Eve be fully one or fully human. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The creation of Eve is more than the creation of gender or sexuality. Rather, the creation represents community itself. God chose for human beings to be expressed in and through community. In the creation of Eve, in the sharing of humanity, Adam and Eve are fully human only as they abide together. In other words, Adam and Eve are fully human only in community. I believe that when Adam was initially formed from the dust, before the creation of Eve, he expressed all of the characteristics of humanity. He expressed more than just maleness. He expressed everything that is right and pure and lovely about all of humanity. However, it was, quote, not good for Adam to stay in his singular perfection, in his individualistic solitude. For Adam to know love and to know the beauty of community, he needed Eve. So God took the one who seemed to have it all and separated the one into two people. When Adam awoke, he was seemingly less than what he was before the separation. No longer did he hold all the characteristics of humanity within him. Adam woke up seemingly incomplete, seemingly less than a whole person. But Adam had not become less of a human, for in losing his self-sufficient individuality, Adam gained the gift of intimate, loving community. He gained the benefit of understanding or experiencing in part the love that abides within the perfect community of God, the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Seeing this perfect gift of relationship embodied in the physical presence of Eve, Adam immediately understood the importance of the gift. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Together in community, Adam and Eve became one. That's on page 34 of the Community of God. In the creation of Eve, 
there's the creation of community. And I believe that's why Eve was created last. Uh, some scholars and theologians have said the Bible has a low view of women, and you see in the creation narrative that the animals are created before Eve, and uh, you know, Adam names the animals, and he can't find a suitable helper form, and then Eve's created, and people will say that's how what a low view the Bible has of women, that even after animals, women are created. That's not what the story is talking about. The story is showing that creation is amazing, the mountains are beautiful, the animals are amazing, but no one, or, or nothing, nothing created can replace the importance of human community. So Eve is created last, or, or women are created last as separate from man, or the separation of Adam happens last to show that human community is sacred. Nothing can replace it. Walks in nature can't replace it. The mountains can't replace it. The animals can't replace it. We were created for relationship. God has made us dependent upon each other. We need each other to be fully human. I believe when Adam saw Eve, he probably woke up feeling, you know, even his own body, like touching his body and like, I'm missing something. And then he saw Eve and maybe even pulled her close to him and grasped her and understood, I need you to be complete. Now, I'm not saying you need marriage to be complete or you need a woman or a man to be complete. I think we need community to be complete. And we know this. To be born, we need community. A child to be born, there needs to be at some level, right? I don't want to have to explain the birds and the bees to you here. I don't want to have to explain to you procreation, how this works. But for a child to be born, there needs to be two for the one to be born. And we know that if a baby is not nurtured and held, that baby will die unless a community loves that baby. You and I are not self-made people. We are formed by community. We are formed by the DNA of, of two parents that came together. Uh, and whether they came together out of love or out of indifference or out of passion or out of violence, we were formed based on a community. And we've been formed by the nurturing of a community or the neglect of a community. We are formed by nurture, we are formed by nature, we are formed by environments. We have been molded by the communities that we've been placed in. I am not a self-made man. I am created through and in community, and so are you. You know, just as sin affects the individual, sin affects communities. And that's the struggle, isn't it? That's the struggle of, I, I think we desire community, but we also know that people will hurt us. But here's the struggle. If you're a Christian, you understand that the cross is for the salvation of individuals, but it, all, it is also for the salvation and restoration of communities. And just as God heals the individual, he desires to heal communities as well. And just as he wants to bring healthy abiding within us individually, he wants to bring healthy abiding in community. And just as he wants to heal us when we're in our prayer closet and when we're praying and talking to him one-on-one, -on -one, he wants to heal us and bless us and encourage us through others. But often I know my tendency is to do this. I don't mind the one-on-one, -on -one, Lord, but I don't want to be hurt again, so I'll just kind of go off on my own. But the Scripture said of Adam and the Scripture says of you and it says of me, it is not good for man our woman to be alone. God has placed within every human a dependency upon the other. To be fully human is to need community.
I was born into a family of five. I'm the middle child, and I was born a dyslexic. I'm a dyslexic, and that, that, that's not just a joke about someone who doesn't believe in dog. Or what is that, the atheist who doesn't believe in dog? I don't, I don't even know the joke. I said it wrong as a dyslexic. But it's not just about reading words backwards or writing your letters backwards. Dyslexics have a spectrum of issues. and For me, it was incredibly hard to read. It was incredibly hard to write. Uh, my dyslexia influenced my ability to learn in school. I had parents who are both reading and language experts, and I talk a lot about this in the book, and they spent hours with me teaching me to read and to write and convincing me that I could do the work that I'm doing. I have this book out now. I'm editing for a doctrine book for my denomination. I, I, I've written for newspapers and blogs. and But all those things have happened because I had parents who tirelessly worked with me to help me become the writer that I am today. I'm not a self-made person. I have tremendous grace and respect for people who are on the street, for people who have you know, dropped out of school and people who've given up on their ability to do much of anything because I know if I had not been born into the family I was born into, I would have quit school. I would have dropped out of school. I was made to be a writer based on my parents. Yes, I had some natural abilities, but if they hadn't contended for me, I wouldn't be that person today. Some of you have faced tremendous hurts and pains. You've been, you've been harmed in ways and neglected in ways that no one understands. And the, and the tendency and the desire to just isolate from harm would make complete sense. But we know throughout the Old and New Testament that just as sin is brought and, and carried out through community, also transformation and restoration occurs through community. Jesus with a group of disciples. Paul traveling in pairs with Barnabas or Titus or Timothy. It's in community, it's in pairs, it's in groups, it's in safe, safe gatherings. It's not in isolation. You and I were not created for isolation. And I know I could say that and say it again and again, and it still doesn't bring comfort because it's a faith step. Just as we entrust our lives to God, we're also entrusting our lives to the community of God. You and I were created for community to be dependent upon others. And that's the struggle, and, and I see this, is we live in a world where many are not following God, and we live in a world where many will hurt us. And so what do we do? Well, I don't want to be hurt, so we isolate. But in isolating, it doesn't heal. It just brings a certain what? A distance, a disconnect. Everyone needs boundaries. There's certain things we can do. I have friends who've been abused and harmed, and, and your level of community might be different than mine. But each of us are called to be led by the Holy Spirit to take that next step. And that's why I can't place something on you, because it might be different for you than it is for me. For you, community and connection might look very different. But I do believe that the Lord has for each and every one of us a next step. He has a place for us to wake up from that deep sleep as Adam woke up. And to look at ourselves and to feel incomplete and to realize I'm missing something. And I need that something in others. It doesn't mean that you're a a bad person or a weak person because you need something from others. It just means you're Adam. It just means you're Eve. Adam needed Eve before sin entered this world. 
Eve needed Adam before sin entered this world. God created us to need each other. It's not wrong to need others. But in needing others, we know others will hurt us. So we also have to have that place of strength and encouragement with the Lord when people fail us and hurt us and harm us. It's a complex road. It's not easy. But the danger of living in an individualistic world is, is I think often we do this, well, I'm just going to get my life right, and I'm just going to get my ways figured out, and I'm just, I'm just going to trade that off, and maybe someday, someday I'll abide in relationships, and someday I'll abide in community, and, and I'd just like to tell you, that's not how it works. It's always both. It's always a step of faith dealing with the individual and dealing with the people that God has entrusted to our care. Every person has been entrusted to a community, and every community has been entrusted to a person. We're going to look at these things more deeply, how community has also been harmed and, and how people have been sinned against and how, how, how we deal with devouring communities and how we deal with the garbage that's out there and we take it seriously. We, we've got a lot more to talk about in the weeks that come and, and hope and hopeful ways to move forward and ways to find healing. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Lord, I pray blessing upon anyone here who's struggling in isolation. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give each of us a next step so that we can discover who we are. We were formed by community. We are formed by community. So, Lord, lead us into healthy expressions of community that will not only help us, but also so we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's show. Please subscribe on iTunes or you can go to soundcloud.com. Hey, I'm tired of selling my mom books. I'd love it if you'd buy one as well. Uh, you can get my new book, The Community of God, by going to my website, fairlyspiritual.org, or you can buy it at Amazon. There's a Kindle version and a print version as well. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. Hey, this theme song is by my brother, Dan Bursch. Make sure to give him some love and check out his music on iTunes. I'll see you next week. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through what you've spoken.